Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, I'm so delighted that you've decided to join us to talk about your landscapes, your gardens, whether we're growing things to eat or growing things to enjoy. As far as flowers and color goes, we love to talk about it. Last week, of course, we talked about colorizing your shady spaces. Now, of course, sometimes we think that we don't always have a lot of options when we have shade. There's certain things, of course, that aren't going to grow in the shade. But one of the beautiful things about having shady spaces is you can grow a number of plants that can't grow in the sun. They don't like the sun. So don't look at shade as uh, being a curse. Think of shade as being an opportunity to do something different and something new. And if you weren't able to join us for last week's program, of course, you can find that online now at NewSouthernGarden.com and on your favorite podcasting apps, because there you can listen to every show that we've ever had and pick through the subjects that uh, kind of spark your attention or Don't listen to the ones that you don't want to deal with. Uh, But since we've talked a lot about ornamental plants, I thought that today would be a good time to talk about edible plants. So we're going to turn our attention to our fruit and veg areas, our little vegetable plots, if you will. And we're going to talk about things that you can do now and maybe should be thinking about now as far as your fall vegetables go, but maybe even anticipating uh, what you're going to do in the springtime when winter is over. Of course, we're not quite to winter yet. We've had some decent weather, but it does give you an opportunity uh, these cooler months to think about what you're going to do in the spring and maybe uh, assess the successes and the, well, I don't want to say failures, but maybe to assess the things that happened this year in 2023 so that when you get ready for 2024, you're more prepared, maybe thinking about bugs and diseases that you had this year and how you can start to prevent those. Uh, But otherwise, it's also a good time to plant the cool season crops we'll talk about. If you haven't done that, I'll give you some ideas. If you don't have a large space, some things you can do in containers maybe. And then we'll probably talk about some of our wonderful fruit trees that we can grow here in the southeast. Of course, you know, it can be a little difficult uh, with our humidity in particular. Uh, And of course, certain plants, uh, certain varieties of maybe apples and fruit trees, cherries, some of these things don't uh, love our climate. Some uh, fruit trees need a certain amount of chill hours or cool temperatures. Uh, Usually that's the number of hours that fall below 45 degrees and you know our winters even though they're fairly cold to us they're not necessarily always cold enough for certain plants so we'll be forewarning you on uh, some things you you may not want to try but you know if I think the true gardener if somebody tells you you can't grow it the true gardener is going to give it a shot. (laughs) So with that being said, we're going to talk about growing things that we can consume and eat 
and, of course, nourish our bodies with. One of the first things that I want to talk about when it comes to vegetables, and right now, the fall vegetables, of course, we've talked about that on a few uh, weeks back, and you can check those shows out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. But if you didn't get an early start to your vegetable growing, well, that's okay. You still have time. We have uh, some nice warm days, give or take, and fairly cool but not miserably cold nights. It seems like the weather has been, or the temperature at least, has been all over the place. And so I do think that if you haven't gotten your vegetables started, you could go ahead and give it a shot because we should have plenty of warm days to encourage those babies to grow. But if you don't have a space for a winter garden or maybe you don't even own a plot of land, perhaps you're listening to today's program and you're in an apartment complex or somewhere where you don't actually have an area in the soil that you could grow, don't forget about growing vegetables in a winter container, maybe on a sunny patio or a sunny porch. You know, you can actually utilize those older pots that you had with summer annuals. Maybe you had some lantana in the pot, uh, petunias, begonias. Maybe you had some of those things growing, and now that we've had a first frost, they've bit the dust, and you have an empty large pot. Well, Growing vegetables in a pot is a cinch, and growing vegetables in a pot on a patio is really no problem at all. As long as we can get six hours of direct sunlight, most any of your vegetables will grow. And actually, for many of the cold season crops that are leafy, some of those don't even need a full six hours. Just provide them with as much sunlight as possible. So a lot of the greens that you may think about putting in a container for your fall or winter vegetable garden is things like arugula, maybe even parsley. Of course, parsley does like it cooler. It wouldn't love to be in freezing temperatures all the time. But growing these things in a container is actually quite helpful um, in that you can take these containers inside when we do have some very cold nights, keep those plants warm, and then the next day when the sun comes out and things start to warm up, you can push those back out onto the patio or the sunny uh, sunny porch, and they'll continue to grow and continue to produce the, the leaves, whether it's the herbs and parsley or arugula, which is uh, sort of like a good salad mix. And speaking of that, lettuce and mustard greens, they could also be great contenders for containers, as well as spinach, uh, even green onions. If you do find some uh, green onion bulbs, that's probably the best way to go. Or maybe there's already a a pot in your local plant nursery or garden center, a pot of green onions. Those are super easy to put out in a container. Trim them when you need some fresh onions inside the house for your uh, cooking duties and then allow them to continue to grow. Onions, actually, if you notice uh, in your uh, lawn or maybe some of your flowering beds, you've noticed the little wild onions and garlics popping up uh, as we get into this cool season because they prefer the cool season. They nearly disappear over summer, but then they start growing for the rest of fall and winter until it gets hot again in the spring. So these are wonderful things that if you can provide them with plenty of sunshine, they can go into a pot on a patio onto a porch. Now, when we talk about the lettuces and the mustards and and some of the other greens, cabbage even, and kales, there are some varieties that are both very tasty and also quite ornamental. 
Of course, green is the standard color for many of these plants, but there are a rising number of varieties, particularly in the mustards and kales and cabbages, that have some beautiful color variations on them. Now, you know, sometimes we're looking at uh, whites and reds and purples. Some of them are completely purple or completely white, and some of them have touches of pink on them. So if you think about using these in a container, not only will they be nutritious and delicious, but these greens that are grown in a container all winter will also be very beautiful. As a matter of fact, if you do this right and you get some good mixes of color there, when people come to your sunny patio or sunny porch, they may just think those are beautiful plants. They may not know that you're actually harvesting the leaves, using them in salads, using them in your cooking dishes. Uh, and don't forget that with these greens in containers, you can also mix pansies, violas, snapdragons. We talked about stock a few weeks ago, which is completely edible, but they have beautiful um, leaves and beautiful flowers. So don't be afraid to mix some of those classic standard fall and winter um, ornamental plants with your edible greens and onions and parsley, all of those things, spinach, don't be afraid to mix those because that not only will give you a beautiful pot, but it's also going to be quite tasty. You can eat. I don't eat violas and pansies, but those flowers are edible. I have seen them being, being used at weddings and maybe large parties or gatherings that are quite ornate where you would sprinkle some pansy and viola blossoms on top of a, a punch bowl or uh, in some kind of um, uh, uh, you know, drink container because they're beautiful and they're edible. So thinking of these things, uh, you don't have to have a very large space to grow lettuce. You don't have to have a large space to grow mustard or arugula or spinach. Now, of course, we get into things like turnip greens and maybe collard greens, which are larger plants, and they may benefit uh, from more space. But don't be afraid to use even the collard greens in a container. They're very upright and uh, quite broad with their large leaves by the time they're harvested. But still, they're a beautiful shade of green. And if if you mix some pansies or snapdragons uh, or even the stock plants or dianthus, all of these things like the fall and the winter temperatures. And I think that you'll find that they're quite beautiful. So once you get these planted up, of course, you do need to fertilize them using um, maybe a houseplant fertilizer would be appropriate uh, or using some espoma fertilizers, which of course are an organic fertilizer. If, if you're going to be harvesting these leaves and flowers potentially to eat, then you may want to use the or organics. And of course, we want to make sure that the fertilizer we use is, is well balanced as well as um, uh, or organic. But being well balanced means that it will have uh, some nitrogen, some phosphorus, potassium, and even micronutrients in there. And depending on exactly which crops you're growing in that container, you may do a little more research and see if you need a little more nitrogen for the leafy greens or maybe a little more phosphorus and potassium for the things that may be blooming. Um, but if you use a pelletized or some kind of organic fertilizer that slowly breaks down, that's usually sufficient. But if you're harvesting regularly, if you're harvesting from from the parsley regularly, or if you're harvesting from the lettuce regularly, you may use a 
fertilizer that is water-soluble so that maybe every week or every other week when you need to water your container, you'll mix some water-soluble fertilizer or maybe compost tea into that water and supply those plants with not just moisture, but a little boost. Most water-soluble fertilizers I call candy bars because, of course, uh, they don't last very long, but they are packed full with nutrition and things that the plant needs. Uh, So even though they don't linger very long in the soil, they're very readily available to the plants, which is why we would use those with things that maybe bloom a lot or maybe things that we are taking leaves away from or harvesting flowers from because that will replenish them uh, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis with nutrition to then regrow and put out more stems, more leaves, more flowers, and whatnot. Um, Of course, If you are growing on a patio or porch, there may be some things to consider as far as wind goes. Of course, a uh, pot, a container is above the ground, so you may uh, have more wind getting to those plants and frigid wind over winter. So maybe the corner of the patio where, uh, you know, you get a little more protection, uh, just keep your eye out to see if you notice any kind of wind damage or very cold weather coming in, either bring them inside while it's cold or windy, or of course, put them in a more sheltered space that may, uh, you know, be available on your patio or porch. So those are some tips for folks who may not have a lot of space, a lot of land, or say a lot of real estate to grow plants in the ground, but you can do it. You can grow vegetables in a container. There's no reason not to. Remember, when we are gardening in containers, it's quite unnatural in the sense that the plant is confined to a smaller space than it would be in the ground. Also, if it's under a patio or porch where rainfall doesn't hit it, you'll be responsible for watering regularly. And because there's no other soil or areas for it to go except in the container, making sure we provide them with fertilizer is important. So growing plants in containers is not really that difficult, but we do have to recognize the fact that if we were planting these things in the ground where there's plenty of soil space, there's plenty of um, moisture perhaps, and of course there's plenty of um, space above the earth to spread and grow and develop, We may not have to show as much attention to plants in the ground, but plants in a pot we do have some special concerns with. So as long as you're making sure they're moist but not too wet and not too dry, that's going to be critical. And then, of course, you have to consider um, the the nutrition. We do have to fertilize these things. So if you use that well-balanced, potentially organic fertilizers that are going to slowly break down and release over the next few months, your plant should be happy and healthy. Uh, But... Uh, When we get back from this break, we're going to shift from containerized plants and fall vegetables and talk about bare root fruit trees and fruit bushes and vines. Now's a great time to plant them. So we're going to give you the details and the scoop on how to do that. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So, gang, before the break, we were talking about growing your fall vegetables in large containers, large pots. It's a wonderful thing to do, especially if you don't have a lot of space in your landscape, or maybe if you don't even have a landscape at all. You can still grow delicious and hearty foods on your patio or porch, no matter if you're in, in a house or in an apartment complex building. Uh, they are wonderful things to do, even in the sunniest sites that you have. And I did, before we moved on from that, I do want to talk about a few more things that you can do in containers. Again, whether you have plenty of space in the ground or not, uh, one of those things is carrots. And now is still a good time to sow carrots. Um, I think that growing carrots in a container or even a bucket, yes, that's right, just a five-gallon bucket even. Make sure that the bucket has holes in it or the large pot has holes for good drainage. Um, And you can sprinkle, once you fill it up with potting mix, and potting soil or your favorite compost, uh, you can sprinkle the seeds right on top. They do need some light to germinate, so don't bury them too deeply. Uh, We don't want to hide them uh, away from sunlight, Uh, but just sprinkle a light dusting to keep them moist uh, on top. And then as they start to germinate, you'll thin them out to maybe four inches apart, depending on the variety, the larger carrots, you may have a wider spacing and the narrower carrots, uh, you may have two inches apart. But regardless, they'll grow, they'll be little, and then you'll fertilize them, they'll keep growing. And then of course, uh, at the end of winter or so, you can check and see how large the carrot is by just peeling back or pushing away a little bit of soil around the base of that carrot. And you should see a nice brilliant root right there. And they're easy to pull out and easy to come out of the soil. Sometimes when we grow carrots in the ground, you know, they hit a rock or maybe they hit a hard clod of soil and they get twisted and contorted. Uh, Or maybe they bifurcate and turn into a double carrot, if you will. But when you grow them in some loose potting mix in a container, guess what? You get nearly perfectly straight carrots every single time. This is one of my favorite things to do with, with the kids because... They can help you fill up the bucket or the, the, the pot with soil. They can help sprinkle the seeds on top. They can help you water them, fertilize them, watch them grow. And then, of course, it just looks like a, a little tuft of, of leaves most of the year. But once you get to harvesting them, that's really when the kids get excited because they can just easily pull out those carrots from that potting mix and boom, they've got a carrot they can take inside, wash up, and munch on. It's a great snack for school, too, of course. Uh, So don't forget about growing carrots and sowing them. Uh, Of course, carrots are best sown in place. It's best to sow them where you intend to harvest them because they don't transplant well because, of course... 
If you started carrots in little tiny pots, once that root hits the bottom of the pot, well, now you've got a crooked carrot. So be sure that you're putting them in the place, sowing those seed exactly where you plan to grow them out and harvest them, and you'll have the most perfectly straight carrots uh, that you've ever had, particularly if they're grown in very loose soil or, of course, if they're grown in a container where there's no rocks or anything to impede their growth. Um, We are going to get to talking about growing fruits and things in the landscape, but before we talk about growing fruits in the landscapes, I do want to bring uh, draw your attention to a collection of plants under the bushel and berry uh, series. Now, you can access information about them at their website at bushelandberry.com, but they mainly have focused on four particular fruiting plants, and that is going to be the blackberry, the blueberry, the raspberry, and the strawberry. Now, of course, they describe them this way. They're breathtakingly beautiful and produce delicious edible fruit. The wonderful thing about bushel and berry, and we have been uh, bringing them out to Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week in Flowery Branch, Georgia, uh, but we have been bringing them out and they've performed so well that they're just an outstanding collection if you will of fruiting plants whether you're looking for raspberries or uh, blackberries or strawberries uh, blueberries the beautiful thing about bushel and berry is that they are very small plants and that's why uh, I bring this topic up right now is because if you do have a patio situation or a porch situation you don't have the space for full-size blueberries and full-size blackberries of course I have seen some blueberries they were left unattended for many years sort of abandoned and uh, left to their own devices and they were probably over 12 foot tall but generally blueberries themselves in a more trained situation where people are uh, showing them more attention and, and doing some pruning they can be at least six to eight feet each way width and height of course they're suckering plants so they'll pop up baby plants off of the mother and so if you don't have that kind of space or don't want that kind of attention many of the bushel and berry Uh, collections they are only maybe two to three feet tall at the most some of them are just uh, shorter than 24 inches and they make perfect patio pots perfect patio plants because again being a smaller plant they don't need as much root space as your full-size blueberries would and of course um these uh, smaller plants are going to be more uh, more tame, if you will. You won't have to do much pruning or trimming. We rarely do. Of course, when we bring them in at the nursery, they usually get gone pretty fast. Uh, you will recognize bushel and berry at your local garden center or plant nursery uh, because they're grown in distinctive, very light blue pots. It's a beautiful color, and they do grab your attention. But listen to some of the names. For instance, they're blueberries, berry bucks, Jelly Bean, uh, Blueberry Buckle, Midnight Cascade, we've had that one, it's a really nice one, Pink Icing, which has this very pink new foliage, uh, Peach Sorbet, Perpetua, Perpetua, Sapphire Cascade, Silver Dollar, those are some of the blueberries, and we have had some of the blackberries like Baby Cakes, wonderful names on those, and some of the strawberries, uh, Raz, I'm sorry, that's Raspberry there, but uh, Scarlet Bell Strawberry and Snowy Bell Strawberries, and then Raspberry Shortcake when it comes to raspberries. They've got great names. Uh, of course, it's not just about the name or the plant itself, it's about the beautiful, tasty fruits, but they can make great conversation pieces 
because if they're on your patio in a container and they're fruiting or maybe they're flowering, uh, of course, people may notice that and say, what is this strange looking plant? Well, it's a blackberry or it's a raspberry or it's a blueberry. And the folks are going to say, I didn't know you could grow those in a pot. Well, these are perfect for pots because they are super small. And remember, many of these plants are quite ornamental. Uh, when they flower, they have a beautiful flower. All of them really do. The, the blueberries in particular are going to have great fall color. Even the, the bushel and berries that we've brought out in the fall time, they are outstanding with their orange and reds and yellow leaves. So d- they're very productive plants, but don't worry about using them on a patio or a porch because they're quite beautiful as well. That's the the beauty of it. Just be sure that you are giving it as big of a pot as you can manage because the more root space it has, the more access it will have to the fertilizer you're providing and of course it'll have access to the moisture. And those are the two most important things other than lots of sunlight, as much sunlight as you can give them. Of course, blackberries, raspberries, and blueberries can handle a little less sunlight than maybe other fruit trees, but they won't be as productive. So being sure they get six to eight hours of sunlight, giving them a big pot to start out in, fertilizer and moisture, not too much, make sure that there's holes in the bottom, make sure they drain well. But giving them all those things is is going to affect the size of their their berries and the number of their berries even. If they don't have a lot of sunlight, the plant may survive and, and look fine, but you'll notice when they bloom the next season, there's not as many blooms. So be sure if you're growing any of the fruits, uh, these small containerized fruits on your patio or your porch, that they are getting as much sun as you possibly can handle. And of course, the strawberry, the raspberry, the blackberry, the blueberry, all of those are very hardy. So we don't have a problem with keeping them out on the patio over winter. There's really no need to be bringing those indoors uh, to protect. Um, I mean, unless you just want want to baby them a bit. But otherwise, these plants can handle some of the coldest temperatures. Definitely down here in the south, it's not a question. There is no problem with the kind of of, uh, winter we have. So leaving them out there on the patio, uh, maybe if it's going to be below freezing for several days, you may at least hug them up against the the side of the house so that they get some ambient heat that the house is going to radiate overnight. But otherwise, check out bushel and berry for your small pot or your large pot small spaces because they're small plants but they've got a big impact and of course they've got a big flavor too when we get back we'll talk more about growing fruit trees this time of year Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, uh, for the first half of today's show, of course, we've been talking about growing fruits and vegetables, particularly on a patio, a sunny patio, the sunniest patio that you've got. (laughs) And, uh, but but maybe you don't necessarily want to be growing yours in the 
on the patio or on the porch? Well, we're going to talk about uh, growing fruit trees in particular, planting them now and enjoying them, letting them root in and enjoying them as they continue to do their stuff in the spring. They'll flower in the spring. uh, They'll set their fruits in the summer and then they'll be ready to harvest uh, late summer, early fall, depending on what it is that you are growing. But right now is a great time to plant particularly bare root fruit trees or fruiting plants, I should say, because, you know, blueberries, raspberries, muscadines, these aren't necessarily things that grow in a tree. Maybe they're a vine, maybe they're a shrubby bush, or in the case of blackberries and raspberries, they grow on what we call canes. So any of your fruiting plants, now is a great time to plant them. Whether you are going to your local um, nursery or garden center and finding plants that are in pots. It's a wonderful time to plant them. But of course, if you want more varieties and diversities, there are a number of sources you can find online. And online nurseries do tend to carry a wide range of um, varieties and cultivars because they're probably working with many growers around the nation or other areas, of course, that are able to to provide the kind of variety that one small mom and pop uh, retail center may not be able to. So I would always start locally. I would always start with your local garden center because they're going to be most likely working with growers or growing them themselves, the plants that do well in your area. But once you go into the online world and you start to bring in plants, uh, you got to make sure you do a little bit of research. Be sure that you are looking to see if these certain varieties that caught your attention uh, or you're considering utilizing, make sure that they're going to perform well in your climate, no matter where you are. So it's going to take a bit of research on your part if you're, if you're purchasing online. Remember, the World Wide Web is full of plants, but not every plant that's on the internet is meant for your area or is appropriate for your area. We're going to talk about a few plants that, uh, and varieties of apples, pears, peaches, and things that are good for the southeast in particular, and you may want to consider them when you are looking for um, certain fruiting plants. But like I said, the idea is that you plant them now, and over winter, they're able to establish themselves, building a strong root system, so that when the stresses of spring and summer come, they won't be batting an eye, because you have given them a, you know, three, four, six-month period where weather is cooler and of course there's plenty of moisture so they can develop a strong root system in the world of apples in the world of apples i do want to talk about a few varieties that i love but of course that are completely appropriate for our area and my top choice is always anna the anna apple now anna is not going to be an apple you see on the market shelves or in your um your your local grocery store i've never seen it available commercially but Anna is a great garden apple. They have an excellent shape with a blush of red. Really a pretty apple. They tend to ripen in mid-June to early July. Of course, depending on where you're located, that may vary. But they are a very early, crisp yellow apple with great quality. And of course, that red blush. So they are really pretty. They're sweet apples. And they um, are very disease-resistant. 
And that's one thing that we love in the Southeast is to find a variety of any fruit tree that is resistant. Now, of course, Gala can grow here pretty well, and Fuji can. Um, Granny Smith, the deliciouses, <laughs> the golden uh, delicious and red delicious. I don't prefer those because they're a bit more mealy. I do like a crisp apple uh, that crunches when you bite down on it. Um, but then, of course, there's this other apple that has got a funny name. I don't know why they called it this, but it's called Mutt Zoo. And even though I don't have one yet in my landscape, I plan to, uh, but I was given some Mutt Zoo apples this fall from northeast Georgia, and every time you take a bite, it's just a it's the perfect apple. Mutsu is an interesting apple. It's a yellow apple with great quality, but its parentage is pretty unique. Its mother or father was a Granny Smith, and its mother or father um, was a Golden Delicious. Now, you'll remember that Granny Smith is a green apple that is uh, quite sour, tart. That's the word we use, tart. And Golden Delicious is a very sweet apple that's a bit mealy, of course, but Granny Smith is very crisp. And it gets both of these characteristics from its mother and father, the Granny Smith and the Golden Delicious. It gets both of those unique characteristics. It's, it's still a fairly crisp apple, but it's not maybe as crunchy as uh, Granny Smith. But it does get the tartness and the sweetness. And like I said, every time you take a bite of a Mutsu apple, you get both that tart and that sweet. It's a wonderful cross, and it's a uh, very good apple, as far as the garden goes, to grow in the southeast. Crisp and juicy, ju just a bit tart, but it's an all-purpose apple. Can you cook with it? Yes, you can cook with it. Can you just eat it fresh? Yes, that's how I tend to prefer them. But um, look into the Mutt Zoo apple. Uh, I have seen it available in the trade uh, locally because it's a good performer, and I think that you'll find that it's a great garden companion to have in your uh, home orchard. Now, when we go to the pears, when we go to the pear world, of course, there are the oriental pears, the orient pear, which is a round kind of squatty pear, and it is resistant to to blight, which is wonderful. The flesh is white. Uh, it's a really good keeper, and it's got a quite large fruit. We do like that one. That one is good for the southeast, but um, it's a bit harder to find here lately. Before COVID, it, it was more abundant, but I haven't seen it much. And of course, kefir. Kefir is an old-fashioned pear. It's a large pear, a yellow skin pear. Um, it may get some blight in wet years, but it is a good pear if you do plan to preserve or cook with them. Uh, the kefir is a standard in the southeast, and it has been around for a while. But one of my favorite pears, at least in the most recent years, that has come to light is called Moon Glow. It's a very vigorous tree, and I love this fact, of course, as a plant nursery person, because the plant has to look really good and actively growing in a container and it does just that so it's not going to have a problem being vigorous out in the landscape where it has access to more soil and fertilizer and water um, but it does produce a, a fair to good quality fruit and it's not quite as gritty it's nearly free of those gritty cells uh, that a lot of pears have so more of an eating pear if you will and the name come on 
the name, Moon Glow Pear. It's a wonderful plant, wonderful plant. Uh, when we come to the peaches now, um, I didn't miss, mention this with fruits, with uh, apples and pears, but they both need partners. So depending on the kind of pears or apples you already have, or maybe your neighbors have, as long as there are other pears or apples within a mile or so of your pear, you should get decent pollination, but you do need to make sure that when you are preparing and planning your orchard or the inclusion of fruiting plants into your space, that there is a pollinator that is a pollinator plant would be a plant. Actually, we call them pollinizers. (laughs) So if you have uh, multiple varieties of pears that can cross pollinate with each other, you're going to have great fruit set. Uh, the, the trouble is that not all pears or not all apples bloom at the same time. So you do have to make sure that you are uh, getting apples and pears that bloom at similar times so that the flowers are open and the pollen is ready to go and the bees and the other pollinators can go from plant to plant, mixing up that pollen and pollinating your uh, fruit trees very well. So just remember that pears and apples do need a pollinizer or a partner, if you will, of usually a different variety or cultivar that is blooming at the same time. But when we go into the world of peaches, you don't need a pollinizer. You just need one plant. Peaches are what we say self-fertile, which means that they, of course, will provide their own pollen for their own plant and can still pollinate their flower and, of course, set the fruits. So there are a number of uh, peach varieties. A lot of them are going to be yellow flesh, but there are some white fleshes like Georgia Bell. Of course, Georgia Bell is one of the most standard white ones that you may see. You may actually see those in grocery stores and local roadside markets. Not a problem at all. There is one called Nectar, which I haven't seen a whole lot, but I'm familiar with. That's another white variety. And when it comes to the the yellows, there's a number. So Alberta, of course, has been the standard for, ooh, since we started growing Uh, peaches in Georgia. Alberta is probably one of the oldest varieties you'll find. Of course, we are the peach state. Currently, we don't grow as many peaches as South Carolina or, of course, California. Uh, But Alberta put Georgia on the peach map, if you will. Alberta was the one that commercialized the peach industry in Georgia. So it's an 1800s and heritage and heirloom variety that is still endured and lasting today. But it is going to be, of course, the uh, the uh, a yellow peach red skin is is another good variety of peach that is yellow skin. Uh, it does have more of a red blush than the other peaches, so it's quite distinctive and very colorful. Now, another distinguishing factor in the peach world is if the flesh clings on to the pit or if the fresh flesh is free of the pit. Now that may. Uh, be a factor for you because I do prefer the um, the free stone I think it's what the old timers used to call it the free stone peaches where the stone or the center the pit of the uh, of the fruit where the seed is is not attached to the fruit itself and this is a wonderful thing because of course if you're trying to get as much fruit 
out of your peach as possible, um, you'll have to cut away the fruit on those cling stone peaches because the flesh of the fruit is adhered to that hard center pit. But the freestone peaches are going to be easy to cut and peel away from the fruit. You probably if you're purchasing peaches um, at the grocery store, most of those varieties are going to be free stones. So you're probably already used to, I am at least, used to a free stone peach. So do the research on the varieties that you're interested in and see if it matters if your fruit is clinging to the pit or is free from the pit. It just makes slicing them uh, a, a lot easier. Now in the plum world, of course, there's a ton of plums that you can choose from. Usually we would need a couple uh, different varieties for pollination. But methylene is a really good one. Now, methylene is a medium size, good quality. It's a dark purple skin with a deep red flesh, probably one of the best varieties. And methylene tends to be partially self-fruitful. So you don't necessarily need another partner. But because it's only partially self-fruitful, you may want another partner, that's for sure. And then Byron Gold. So there's a variety of colors you can find in the plum world. Methley is probably one of the darkest purple and, 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 and red flesh that you can find. But Byron Gold is a very yellow skin with just an occasional blush on them. It's got a mild to slightly tart flavor, and it's another medium size to large round fruits. It's firm, it keeps well, and it's got a good quality quality. Um, I think that if we're going to grow plums, we might as well grow some varieties, of course, that are dark plums and some varieties that are pale or yellow plums. Uh, there's some that are sort of in between in the orange world. Plums are overlooked, I think. Plums are, I, I find them quite tasty. But the idea is that if you don't eat a certain fruit, you probably don't need to be growing it. Grow the fruits that you eat. When we get back from this break, we'll continue our conversation on growing fruits and get into some of the softer, smaller fruits after this break. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we've been talking about growing your fruits and vegetables over the fall and winter. And even though there's really no fruits that are going to produce for you over winter, it's a good time to plant them at least. And we talked about some great varieties from the new uh, bushel and berry series that are wonderful as container plants. Uh, but, of course, if you're looking for planting outside in the ground, you probably need something more robust. We talked about certain apples and pears 
and peaches and plums. I didn't mention nectarines, but I sort of do that intentionally because nectarines are essentially a peach without the fuzz, a fuzzless peach. So nectarines would fall in that same category as peaches. They don't need a pollinizer. They don't need but themselves to produce plants. They don't need a partner, if you will. Uh, but of course, the apples, the pears, and most of the plums are going to, to need those pollinator plants. Now, those are all big trees, right? Those are those are big fruits. But in the world of small fruits, we've got like blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, and these are things that, of course, are just as easy to grow, really easier to grow than your fruit trees because many of these fruit trees are going to be susceptible to a number and variety of pests, <laughs> including diseases and insects. So we'll probably talk about that at a later date as we get into uh, the earliest part of spring, late winter, when we need to start to do something about those. Uh, but for now, let's just talk more about some of these smaller fruits like blueberries. Blueberries are a wonderful uh, plant for the southeast because, of course, the rabbit eye blueberry is a native blueberry to the southeast, so very disease resistant. It's got defenses against any of these local diseases we may have. Of course, the fruits themselves can be prone to uh, being eaten by insects and other pests in the mammal nature, right? So deer would eat blueberries and so would rabbits if they could get up high enough to get them. Uh, but with that being said, there are three main groups of blueberries. And if you're looking online for blueberries or maybe if you're going to a big box store for blueberries, I want you to be aware of the different groups of blueberries. There's a number of varieties, but there's three big groups. That would be, first of all, the rabbit eye blueberry, which is most appropriate for the Southeast because it's native to the Southeast. But then some of the varieties I've seen, uh, some of the blueberry varieties that I've seen in the box stores are going to fall into the uh, northern high bush varieties. Now, northern high bush, you might be able to get by with, but it's not going to love the southeast like rabbit eyes do. Uh, and then, of course, there's the low bush uh, group. And the low bush group is the furthest north you could grow uh, blueberries up into Maine. So really not a great selection for the southeast either. And I say all this because if you are looking online to buy or these big box stores that are just shipping plants from who knows where to all over the U.S., a lot of their blueberries are northern high bush. But then there's actually a fourth category which is more appropriate than northern high bush for the southeast, and that's the southern high bush, which uh, I do believe is a hybrid between the northern high bush and the rabbit eye uh, blueberry. And so with those being combined, the southern high bush is more appropriate than northern or low bush varieties, but I always like to stick with the rabbit eyes. I love to stick with the rabbit eyes because there's a great selection of rabbit eyes out there like Premier and Climax and Brightwell. Those are three of the old standard. Powder Blue, I believe, is another one that's fairly new. And one of the newest ones is called Pink Lemonade. Now, Pink Lemonade ripens with a pink color. You see, all blueberries go through three color changes before they ripen, and that would be uh, when they're immature, they're green. When they're uh, ripening, they're sort of a pink color, and then when they're really ripe, 
they're blue. Well, the pink lemonade has genetics that skips the uh, last phase. It continues its ripening as a pink fruit. So you are harvesting fully sweet and ripe berries that are pink. So be on the lookout for pink lemonade, but it is in that group of uh, rabbit eyes that we do love in the southeast. So again, now is a great time to be planting your blueberries or at least thinking about the ones you want to get. But do the research if you're buying them online or buying them from a box store. I don't want to point out any names or point fingers, uh, but be sure you're looking for either uh, rabbit eye varieties or southern high bush varieties. Um, I would be wary of the northern and definitely the low bush varieties. Summer would just be brutal on some of those uh, blueberries. But otherwise, blueberries are simple and easy. They're quite ornamental. Don't be afraid to mix your blueberries into your ornamental beds because, of course, blueberries will produce a very attractive, icy white, bell-shaped flower that are all clustered together in the earliest parts of spring, sometimes late winter, uh, even before our last frost has come. And they're very attractive to bumblebees in particular. Bumblebees love those deep flowers, so great pollinator plant. Uh, But once the once the flowers have fallen and they're setting their fruit, they're putting out their leaves, and their leaves are an ashy blue-green color. And of course, that's an attractive color for spring and summer months. But then as we go into fall, they will give you some of the best fall color you've ever seen. Blueberries are super productive plants, of course. They give you those uh, delicious tasting berries, but they are super ornamental, and we can't forget about those ornamental characteristics. Now, in the world of uh raspberries and blackberries, uh, these are what we call brambles. Now, brambles are an interesting group of plants because they are sort of shrubby, but they have these independent canes that come off at the base of the plant where the roots are. And these canes are very unique in that the first year the cane grows, it's just going to produce foliage. But then the next year, uh, the next spring, they will actually flower. So when you're working with blueberries and raspberries, their culture is is very similar. But you've got to remember that if you're doing pruning work, uh, be sure to prune out the oldest canes. Don't pr- don't prune out the newest canes. And of course, because blackberries and raspberries do ramble and they sprawl, they make plenty of plants that you can share with your friends. But we do need to do some training. And one of the easiest ways to train, you can do this in one afternoon is to uh, get some wire and two four-by-fours, plant the four-by-fours about eight to ten feet apart, and making sure that what's sticking out of the ground is about five foot tall. And then you can strap wire at about 24 inches uh, above the ground, then strap wire around uh, 40 two inches or so above the ground. And then the last wire should be about five foot tall, right near the top of that trellis. And as those brambles and those canes start to grow, when they hit the 24 inch mark, just pin it on there. When they hit the 42 inch mark, just pin it there. And then when they hit the uh, five foot mark, uh, you can pin them right at the top. And being sure that you do this helps to keep those sprawling 
arcing canes from just spilling on the ground and popping up all over the place. If we don't train our blackberries and raspberries, we tend to form very dense thickets. And of course, it's hard to get into the middle of a thicket because we do need to be harvesting those delicious berries. But if you've got just a big mass of blackberries, a big mass of raspberries, it's really hard to work with. Then, of course, by pinning their canes to the uh, wires to your trellis, that will help you remember which canes have just fruited and which canes will fruit next year. So when you're pruning them, you be sure not to prune out uh, a young cane. You can always prune out the older canes, but if you prune out a one-year-old cane, you'll be removing your fruiting cane for next year. So gang, I hope that today we have talked about something that encourages you to start growing your own fruits or start growing your vegetables here in the southeast over fall and winter. For WRWH and 93.9 FM, uh, my name's Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 